0: What is going on? Welcome to the Land Podcast. This week we have a great episode with Jeff Simpson and he is a broker in Kansas, grew up there and we've pounded, we've talked a lot about uh, different states and we've had some first time land buyers talk about their purchases in Kansas, which was really kind of before this really strong appreciation that Kansas has seen. So kudos to those guys, but we're talking about the differences in the investment side of things, some projects you could do, some things to look for. And I hope you guys really enjoyed this episode. In case you're brand new to the Land Podcast, the goal here, it's very simple. It's to help 100 people buy their first farm. There's three ways to be included in that. If you're looking in the state of Illinois, I'm happy to help you out. Uh, Number two, if you want to get connected with someone I would consider doing business with, I'm happy to make an introduction. The decision is yours. But a lot of times, it's good to have a local expert help you out. And number three if you just simply learn something here that helps you move forward with confidence I want to add you to the list and I actually had two people added to the list here this past week and we're inching closer to the hundred buyers and when we do that we're gonna have to do something special I haven't decided what that is but when we reach the 100 mark we have to do something really cool because I can't thank all of you enough for making this project so special I've been able to meet so many excellent people I've been able to learn so much and I hope you guys have learned a lot as well so we're getting closer, and when we do, we're going to do something really cool. So I hope you guys really enjoyed this episode. Let's go ahead and get right into it. Here we go. Jeff, welcome to the Land Podcast. How's it going?
1: Good, man. Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, I'm excited about this. We've, uh, Man, we've pounded what I'll call the Corn Belt or the Midwest, and now we're, we're venturing, venturing a little bit further west, and uh, you're in Kansas. So go ahead and introduce yourself for everyone. Yeah, you're finally making
1: your way out to the good ground, huh? <laughs> <laughs> No, I'm uh, Jeff Simpson. I'm uh, kind of a, I'm a Kansas native. Just you know, it's always kind of been home to me, even when I've ventured out out of state lines, but um, set up roots and you know, spending a lot of time out in western Kansas, central Kansas, and really all over the state, and uh, you yeah, know, enjoying all my time out there.
0: Did you did you grow up on a farm, or what? Like, what what was your upbringing like out there in Kansas? It, it was a quasi
1: farm. I mean, so. So when I was young, I was born in Abilene, Kansas, which is out in the middle of nowhere. But um, as we entered school phase and all that, we moved over actually just across the state line on the Missouri side, ended up going to high school in Blue Springs, Missouri, which was uh, a great school for sports and academics. And that, that worked out well for us. But um, we lived on the outskirts of town. We didn't, you know, we didn't have a lot, but we were always out on uh, neighboring farms and ranches helping them. And it's always been kind of part of the lifestyle.
0: Yeah, that's cool. That's really cool. And so we were just talking, you spent, you live, you were an Iowa resident for like two years or a year?
1: Yeah. Yep. Yeah, two years up in Albia.
0: What um, brought you there? The deer. <laughs> <laughs> okay. uh, makes sense. That checks yeah, I out. Wasn't, I wasn't married. I wasn't,
1: you know, uh, I wasn't bound down as much as I am now, which, you know, I say that in the most respectful, positive way possible. But, um, I had a little window of opportunity to get up there and, and live up there, do some work and, and, and get to hunt big deer. And, uh, so I took advantage of
0: it. Yeah. And so the the question I'm sure people are asking, so you live in Albia and you left. What? A, uh, that's crazy. It, it's probably what most people are thinking just because it's crazy how that small little town has grew a reputation that it has. And there's uh, it's like a melting pot for whitetail talent, I think. Um, yeah, uh, I would for, agree with that. You know, there's, there's a couple of those across the country and Albia is definitely one of them. So do you move back to Kansas? Was that just to be closer to family or different opportunities or what? what was the purpose?
1: Yeah, I think it was a combination of both. Um, I think it was work, work opportunities as well as family and and, and all of that. And, and, and I ended up getting married, uh, and and Albia was not on the list of of dream places to live for her. So, uh-huh. um, you know, we moved further down down south, not too far. I mean, even even right now, I could be in Albia in two and a half hours. It's it, it's not very far from me.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so no, we lo- I loved my time there, but you know, I, I still home always has been and, and will be. Kansas for me.
0: Yeah. And so you have a, I I did a little bit of a deep dive. So you have a photography and marketing background and I was creeping some of your pictures. Uh, Definitely a talented photographer. What, uh, and you also were one of the starters of of founders of Heartland Bowhunter. Is that right? I was. Yeah. Yeah. I started that
1: um, many moons ago, but drew the logo on a napkin and, uh, you know, got that thing rolling for the first basically two years and then then bowed out and moved Mm -hmm. on in life.
0: Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, that's uh, that's really neat. And so, what's been your relationship with real estate over the years? I mean, obviously, you're a licensed agent now, but <clears throat> you know, some people I think have a natural inkling of real estate. It is uh, whether it's upbringing or just they're naturally curious of how it works or what it is. What was what was that for you?
1: I think when I got done with college and started. Uh, doing a lot more hunting and that kind of stuff. I was always involved in the, in the ranches, in and farms that I was hunting on. Um, had a couple really large leases out in central Kansas. Um, I would help run combines and other things. So I've always kind of been involved and, and kind of lean that way. I probably took way too long to get into the real estate side because I've, I've uh, bought and sold farms. I've helped other people find farms to buy. And, um, wasn't involved as an agent, but, or a broker, mm-hmm. but, Uh, but had my hand in it pretty deep
0: yeah and so it's uh it's funny that you mentioned like you wish you would have done it earlier and i think that comes to land ownership especially with a with a lot of the the guests we've had on here is they wish they would have done it sooner they wish they would have bought more obviously hindsight's always 2020 and uh when things work out it's easy to say i was more you know i wish i was more aggressive um but you know i guess explain that in a little bit more detail if you don't mind
1: well, I mean, you know, I think everybody's got their own circumstances around that. Um, you know, I had my my marketing business was doing well, and I was focused on that. And, and a, you know, I personally have so much time, right? Um, I always in the back of my head knew that I would start to do the, the, the land sales and, and brokerage and all of that, but I just didn't, the timing wasn't right, whereas now it is. Um, so I don't really regret any of it, but I do think that I, if I was a little better time manager, I probably could have got into it a little earlier, but... Um, sure. You know, I have three kids as well. So time management just goes right on out the window when you have three little ones. So
0: mm-hmm. what draws you to land ownership? Cause I mean, it, you know, obviously this is a little bit different of an echo chamber because anyone listening to this is obviously interested in land. But when you talk to people outside of this tiny little echo chamber, this very, very, very small population of the country, a lot of people think land is crazy or doesn't make sense or, you know, uh, you know, everyone has their own perception of this, but what, what excites you about land from, an ownership perspective and, and also just an investment perspective.
1: Oh man, there's, there's a lot to unpack there. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I think you're crazy if you don't like land. I mean, you think of all the things that are available to us right in the world, there's very few things that you can say humans can't make more of. And land is, you know, the first thing on that list, in my opinion. So, mm-hmm. you know, there, there's, there's something about it that's pure and it's, it's a limited resource. Um, and it offers, so much value to your life. I mean, I, I have, a, you know, something I tell my kids and I've told them for years and years and years and years is that the answers are always in the dirt um, and that, that that can take on a lot of meaning. But for them, it's like, get get outside, get in the dirt, go play, go have fun. Um, there's financial answers in the dirt. There's recreational value in the dirt. There's soul cleansing in the dirt. There's, you know, to me, the answers are in the dirt. It. And it's kind of been that way my whole life and has nothing to do with real estate. It has everything to do with just lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think you can argue it any way you want, but um, I've been drawn to it. You know, we've had great financial investments with land. We've also had um, a lot of emotional tie to the land that, that you own. Um, you know, I took ecology classes in college, and you know, I have a very strong opinion on making sure that a piece of dirt, once my name is on it, leaves my name in better condition than when I got it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, the, the old adage of uh, of give more than you take. I think that's the the driving force of good ownership. Um owners that can do that, um, stewards of the land that can do that, even people that lease that can do that. And I think if you're giving more than you take, then um you're on the right path.
0: Mm-hmm. What uh what do you think some landowners may fall short on? because obviously you have a an academic background in that. So like what what's a common mistake that maybe is a It's just basically a myth when it comes to land of taking care of it. So whether that's and I know there's a lot of opinions when it comes to different types of farming practices and everything else, but what's what's one that you can, you know, stand on and say, Hey, I I think we should all take a harder look at doing this type of farming practice or this type of land management that you think could be better? Well, you know, the buzzword
1: right now is regenerative farming, right? I mean that's that's everywhere right now, but and that's that's been said and done and told a million different ways for all the years, but I do think there is a link. Um, I think there's a link of, you know, one of the things we're experiencing in Kansas right now is our native quail populations coming back really strong. Um, But it's really coming back in areas where people have taken certain amount of acreage out of crop production and put it back into hay production. And there's a lot less spraying going on in those areas. And I don't know for sure. I'm not a scientist. I'm not a biologist, but I gotta think there's some relation of how much spray and chemical we're putting down that to to those birds surviving and thriving. Um, you know, and this, the same thing goes with turkey. Same thing goes with the white tail. I mean, when we when we spray stuff on on alfalfa to kill weevils, and it's a a drop rate of one ounce per acre, <laughs> that's some pretty nasty stuff, right? Yeah. Um, I can't imagine ingesting that, you know, cause then you see deer out in that same field that night after it's been sprayed, eating on it. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you know, there's there's things like that that I'm very uh, conscious of that I that I hope others are as well. And if we can limit that a little bit, that would be, that'd be great. I mean, I understand that there's farming and we're trying to produce as much, use uh, many cuts and volume and as we can based off of our, our needs there. But if we can at least be paying attention to it and getting a little bit better, you know, if we can take one step, you know, we have to take 10 steps at a time, just take one step at a time. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that's a, a good policy for all landowners and ranch managers to, to try to implement.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. It seems like there's a, quite a, quite a bit of an undercurrent of people looking at farming practices and, and thinking outside the box. And I know that maybe that might be a product of the people I talk with too, but I have found that to be really refreshing and, and interesting too of just looking at things differently and how can we improve and, and looking at a holistic approach of, all the impact we really do have <laughs> on the landscape yeah. we all live on. I mean, it's a, yeah. we're all playing. We make, a of, we make a lot of
1: decisions, right? I mean, those, the, each one of those decisions if we can dissect them and try to try to keep things in a bigger picture. I think it, it benefits all of us.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So Kansas is kind of unique to me because, you know, and it's probably because I haven't dove into it much, but you look at the state of Kansas, right? And you go from East to West. It's, it shouldn't be. It shouldn't be one state. It's crazy. It's like two. you know, there's like three distinct, or maybe two distinct types of. And you tell me, like Kansas is a very interesting state to me. So I just want to hear about what do you like about Kansas, and and what do you what do you think is unique about Kansas? Because you obviously, I love, I love all of it. You know, I uh-huh. think we have, we have such
1: a great state. I mean, we have the Jip Hills, we have the Flint Hills, we have up along Tuttle Creek, we have some great hills up there, and then we have the flat grounds, the crop ground, the stuff you see driving down I-70 is probably the most unflattering of the entire state. Um, and then the entire Eastern band, you know, we're full of big timber, you know, the Missouri river, we have, you know, there's just, there's a lot of, there's a lot of habitat. There's a lot of different habitat. Um, there's arid, there's very wet, there's everything in between. And, uh, you know, it just, it offers a lot. It, it, it's it's, a, it's certainly the gateway to the West. You know, I think once you get, Oh, maybe an hour and a half outside of Kansas city to the West, you, you physically see all of it change. You see the warm season, native grasses, you see the, the rolling dirty pastures, the, the cedars. And I think that's what people think of a lot when they think of Kansas. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you get out further and you start to see the pivots and you see the, the large ag fields, and If you go South you see the, the Sandy, you know a lot more sandy terrain and, and cactus and you know raising cotton and red dirt you know everything's red dirt's oklahoma and texas we have lots of red dirt in kansas um if you've never seen the jip hills outside of uh medicine lodge and, and Barber county and all that it's if someone dropped you there you would not think you were in kansas mm-hmm. uh, you know there's quite a bit of elevation change there's elk down there there's uh you know there's there, we have a lot of diversity basically is yeah what
0: yeah, absolutely. Because I look at states like Iowa or Illinois or Indiana or Ohio, I mean, it's pretty much, you know, yeah, it is what it is, right? Yeah, <laughs> there's not, great. there's, there's not elk, there's not mule deer, there's not a bunch of upland birds, and that's kind of interesting about Kansas is there's so much to offer, and yeah. antelope too. Yeah, yeah, and so the the list is pretty long, but I think a lot of people that listen to this are more whitetail centric, and so I, I guess I, you know, I look at that and I think. You know, this is just a perception of most people. Of you should hunt on, you know, the draws, the creeks, the creek systems. Like that's where you're going to find the most success in Kansas. And when it's so diverse, I have to imagine that may be a fallacy.
1: To to an extent, it is. I mean, I think it's just like everywhere else. Uh, Water's king. Um, There is no life without water. Uh, You know, so I think you know that's that's probably the first lesson people need to know when they look at land is there's no life without water. Make sure you have enough water. Make it easy on them. And you'll have more life on your land. Mm-hmm. Um, so that aside, um, I think a lot of people hunt this state incorrectly. Um, a lot of people get down in the draws and they want to be at the head where they all meet, and then they get winded by everything in the county. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a uh, you know there there's certain things that drive movement. You know, and uh, it's uh, it's unique to here. That's for sure.
0: So, what would be the right way to set up on something like that? That specific terrain feature in your mind. For me, I, so personally,
1: and this is just my opinion, I am not an expert. I don't proclaim to be an expert in anything. <laughs> I mean, the older I get, the less I know. Yep. But what has worked well for me over the last 25, 30 years is if I stay up top where I have somewhat of a true, true wind and I can make sure that it's dumping down towards something where I'm not expecting them to come from and I can let them have the lower draws and pull them up, I have a lot more success than I do trying to get down in there and not get winded. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So okay. if, I, if I can hunt, if I'm on a hill, when I'm looking at stand location or blind location or any you know glassing anything, I want to be on the top third. If I can be on the top third, my wind seems to treat me a whole lot better than if I'm in the bottom two thirds.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay, that's a good rule of thumb. Now. Something that I also I find interesting with Kansas is, you know, I think a lot of people are used to different type of rental rates, CRP rates. And, yes. and I'm yes. jumping around looking at some listings and I'm like, it's not much, man. Like for some parts it's of the state, of like, <laughs> yeah, it's, you know, like 30 bucks, 40 bucks. And I'm like, that's all they can raise off that, thing, <laughs> you know, and, and still make money. Uh, so how, is cause I think a lot of people look at, you know, there's a, there's different types of buyers, obviously, across the board, but a lot of guys, they want to buy something and have some sort of cash flow or some sort of income off a parcel. When you're looking at a piece in Kansas, it's it's pretty low. So uh, I'm it's calling you and I'm just saying, hey, Jeff, um, I'm looking at this budget and you know it can be whatever, 50% tillable, 50% non-income, let's just say, or CRP, whatever. How do you explain to them or how like what's the hurdle there mentally of like, yeah, it's not going to crank out as much income as... X, Y, Z state, but, and this is what you said. It, it's mostly you guys in Illinois, but. Um, <laughs> Fair <laughs> enough. Fair enough. Uh, yeah. I mean, the dirt's
1: not black here. So, you know, you're not going to get that, you know, in the yields and you know, it's just, it's just not the same. You're, you're mm-hmm. apples and oranges but the, the over, to overcome that, that conversation is that, yes, we have low rent rates. I mean, there's cash rents out there all over the place that are for $25 an acre. Now we do have more acreage. Significantly more acreage in some of those,
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, so there is an offset there. Um, but what I tell people all the time is like, look, you know, get with your local NRCS office, see if you can pull some of that tillable into a CRP program. It will pay better than cash rent. Okay, there's option number one. Option mm-hmm. number two is and what would, of,
0: it, and just as a rule of thumb, I know it's you know soil specific and everything else, but let's say you could get twenty five dollars an acre cash rent, CRP like thirty or forty or forty five, or I mean, I'm sure yeah, it all depends. It is beautiful. all over the
1: map on that. That's very yes. specific to the property.
0: Sure. So, but
1: at least you have something to compare it against, right? Right. So it, you know, the other option too is is a lot of this ground has been broken, um, and probably should not have been. Not a lot of it, but some of it. Especially when we get into real canyony land, and there's a top that's broken and put into tillable, and it's not producing very well. Well, it probably was never meant to produce. Mm-hmm. Um, so you could look at seeding that back into native grass, hay and probably get more money out of the hay production than you are the crops. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's another option as well. So it, it depends on what you're trying to accomplish. Right. You know, and if grazing rights pay pretty well, um, but grazing is not something that deer hunters love to hear about or do. Mm-hmm. Although, um, you know, limited time frame grazing contracts are great. You know, let's say you do plant some Milo and you have stalks, you can, you can graze the stalks. You can, you know, you can make sure you have windows of time where you can create income in different ways. You just have to think about it a little differently out here than you, than you would in, you know, Illinois or Iowa sure. and places yeah. like that.
0: Yeah. That's the, that's kind of the fun thing of trying to figure out how, you know, all the nuances of, of, you know, the entire state, cause I have to imagine the Eastern part is probably more traditional to what it most Mid- yeah. Mid- Mid- Midwest guys think. And then further you get West, the more like, I'm out of my element here. I don't know what's going on. (laughs) There's a lot to unfold here. You get in those river bottoms and
1: some of that ground's great. I mean, some of the, and you get into some, some ground is sub irrigated along the rivers and that, that ground's high production. So, I mean, it just depends on what, what piece you're looking at.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so in your mind for someone that is looking across the country and, and, you know, maybe their short list is, we'll say landowner friendly States. So let's say Ohio, let's say Illinois, let's say Kansas, because they're looking for something over eighty. What's your pitch to Kansas? And maybe you don't want to blow up your state, but well, I mean,
1: yeah, I don't. I mean, Kansas isn't a secret, so um, you know I don't mind talking about it. But it's uh you know I don't really pitch it. I, you know I think you have to like what you're looking at. Um and it, and that that's a big conversation, especially with deer hunters, out of state deer hunters, because. you don't like what you're looking at you're not gonna have as good a time out there as you as you as you should especially as a landowner Mm -hmm. and if you've grown up hunting the hardwoods of Ohio on the hills and in the big timber and thousands of acres of hardwoods and oak trees and and all that and then all of a sudden you say i'm gonna come out out to uh kiowa county kansas and you show up and you're like is there a tree here (laughs) like one tree in the entire county and you're like how am i there's no deer here right that's the immediate assumption and the truth is those are grass deer and You know, you could plant a patch of trees and those deer are likely going to bed in the grass anyway. Interesting. Um, Yeah, it's just a different, it's a different animal almost. But at the same time, in some of these big rolling hills, and there's a lot of undulation in these hills. I mean, a lot of times from the county roads, you can't see very far because of the roll. Um, And then you get tall grass years like this year and uh, you can't see a darn thing. Um, There's some big deer out there. There's some really big mature. Our age classes are really strong in those grassy areas, just because I think people to get out there and they don't hunt them. Yeah. Um, but again, if you're sitting in a blind and you've convinced yourself that it's never going to happen, <laughs> then it's never going to happen. Yeah. Um, so you know your enjoyment factor of of your land. I think if you're putting money and resource and time into into owning a property or being on a property, investing your time, you got to like it. Um, so. You know, I don't pitch people on that. I pitch them to say, you know, you know, you have to accept it for what it is and you have to like and want to participate in that. And then you're good. You know, if you like Ohio and the colors and the hills, and everybody hunting 40 acres, then get after it. <laughs> yeah. uh, if you want big country and, you know, want to see a little more of a Western feel and, you know, you know, everybody used to be enamored by like the Milk River up in Montana because it's such a Western look and they're hunting whitetails. Well, we've got a lot of that in Kansas that we can, uh, we can show you bigger deer than they ever had up there and uh you know a simpler look
0: yeah yeah and that's where you know obviously the cost per acre is is uh it's what you know depending where you're coming from in the country when where you're looking you're like man i can get maybe two times as much acreage or maybe even three times as much acreage depending where you're at um but i i also don't think the income per acre like that delta gets bigger in my in my mind like just looking at well that's you know
1: again that's specific peeps but there's also another factor you know, I go, I know guys that have bought 240 acre pieces and they have one stand on it. So you also have to factor that in, right? If you're coming to deer yeah. hunt and you're like, Hey, you know, I, d- I bought this piece, but this 240 really only has one spot that I think is the spot. Good. Yeah. Um, whereas if you buy 240 acres on the Northeast portion of the state up in the hills, along the river, I mean, 240 acres, you're going to, you could have 10, 12 spots, you know, you could have tree
0: stands all over it. Mm-hmm. Um, so what again, would you What would you rather have? Um, two forty with one with one awesome spot in a good in a good neighborhood or a 240. Awesome in, <laughs> what's, so where does like one spot is? Yes. Yeah. So, so you you would take the one spot the one spot on a two forty versus like eight on a two forty. So okay, I'm going to lay it out here. Two forty. There's one true good stand location. Period. Mm-hmm. And then let's say because the cost I assume is going to be higher in the other part of the state. So let's say it's a one sixty. And mm-hmm. you have six or seven good spots and the age class there is average to good and then the age class on the two forty with one spot will say is like a a great, like teetering to excellent, but That's a no brainer
1: for right? me. I take the one spot.
0: Really? All day long. Yeah. I've just I've seen it
1: too many times. I mean, if you're in a good neighborhood that isn't getting a lot of pressure in the age class, is there so you know a, a good friend of mine up in, in Manhattan, his name's Jim Bath. guys killed more big deer than any of us combined. But his favorite thing to say is you can't kill them if you're not
0: there, you know, it's, so yeah, yeah, yeah. it doesn't matter. You, you can own
1: 10,000 acres and have 20,000 stands. But if there's not a 200 inch deer on it, you're not going to kill a 200 inch deer,
0: Yeah, you
1: can have one stand on 10 acres. And if there's a 200 inch deer on it, you, you might get it.
0: Yeah. You have a chance.
1: So, yeah. you know, to me, it's, it's all about age class, neighborhood, pressure, um, mm-hmm. I like hunting unpressured deer. It's a lot different experience than hunting deer that get
0: harassed. And is that just because it's more fun? They're more predictable? I mean, or yeah, is it or bec- just in general,
1: they're more active, right? Mm-hmm. You, you see them more, they're, they're doing deer things more in, in, in times that we could be out there. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, deer are always going to do the thing, but you know, is it going to be 3 AM? Or is it going to be when the right. sun is still up? Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's and a great point Right.
0: Right. I think we all do. And that's the, yeah, that's the, that's what we're all trying to figure out. <laughs> so yeah, it's a yeah, place, a place yeah. to go do that. Cause I think, uh, I mean, that's ultimately when people that buy ground is cause they want a good experience. They want to have good hunting memories and and that's different for everyone. You know, I yeah. think there's a whole spectrum of that, but at the end of the day, yeah, in, for rest, it. it's not
1: unique to just deer either. Right. You know, I, I, I have a, <clears throat> he's under my desk right now, but I have a Brittany, you know, I love <clears throat> chasing quail I Absolutely love it. That was my first love as a hunter um i want to do it as long as i can um so you know there is that factor as well that you know for me to the draw out west is that i get to chase a lot of open birds as well and we're we're really in a good comeback phase right now with our our quail and our pheasant so
0: and do you think that's just a lot of the initiatives of additional crp or or with the spraying that you're mentioning i mean what do you, you know, think triggered it
1: I don't know. I mean, to me, I I honestly think things are cyclical, you know, just like bell bottoms come back and, and haircuts <laughs> come back. I think the quail came back. Um, the turkey are down, you know, Kansas. I don't know if you heard this or not, Kansas canceled the fall turkey season statewide. Mm-hmm. Uh we've limited our spring harvest to one bird, it used to be two. Um, there's a lot of reasons for that, and I don't know why. I don't know why the birds are down. I mean, I, I think I know why. I mean, we had three, four, five years in a row that during the spring when they were nesting we had massive floods and I think that wiped out a lot of nests and wiped out a lot of the the, the regenerative process. Um, mm-hmm. do I think mother nature will take care of that absolutely mm-hmm. uh, do I think we're doing the right thing by limiting the harvest absolutely yeah. <laughs> um, yeah especially in a state where you know I see way too many people coming out and baiting for turkey and I'm like man knock it off
0: that's crazy yeah don't bait for
1: turkey call them like, you're in like is that business. legal
0: or is that legal or illegal it's
1: 100 legal. Yeah, yeah, it's legal, and uh, I just I think I you're missing the point if you're out doing that. Though, I mean, yeah, it's, what's
0: the yeah, what's the fun in that? Uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, it's just
1: like come on, you know, call yeah. me. Yeah, uh,
0: that's um, yeah, that's interesting. I didn't even know that was I didn't know that was a thing. Um, it might not be for much longer, still. So. Yeah, hopefully. Um, so this is uh, I read a publication here recently, and so obviously the entire country has seen a strong rise in land prices the last mm-hmm. couple of years. That's uh, no one can. That's just fact. And so the recent publication showed that the Prairie States, Kansas was included, was one of the strongest market for appreciation over these last two years. And so they showed that for the four state average, um, the average appreciation from 21 to 23 was 18.55%. Would you yeah. agree with that? Is that what you've seen as well?
2: Yeah, I would. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. it's been pretty strong.
0: Yeah. Which so, I, yeah. I, found, I found interesting out of all the, they broke it down in different segments of the country. And then the single biggest jump was Kansas.
1: Yeah, yeah, I would agree with that. I think I don't know why that is, but you know, there's a lot of farmers that that I that I know and speak to on a, a regular basis, and they all kind of you know chuckle and get grumpy about this. But they're like, "Whoever thought playing on this piece of dirt would pay more than farming it?" You know, and it's yeah. that's kind of what it's turned into. And I think it's part of you know the, the recreation side of it. But I think. What that is driving that is that people do see that you can still buy ground, good ground, for two thousand dollars an acre out here, mm-hmm. um, whereas a lot of the countries moved away from that, right? Um, so the, the the quality of deer we have for two thousand dollars an acre, you can buy eight more acreage and and still chase world class deer. That's probably better than where you came from, mm-hmm. um, and that combination has created this influx of of interest in, in you know purchasing, in, which just drives the market up.
0: Yeah. I'm going to play devil's advocate advocate here for a second. So how long do you think that that trend can continue? So is the, does it eventually price out or does the age quality or the hunting quality end up diminishing or both?
1: That that's a tough question, but I don't know if I knew I'd probably be doing something more interesting with my, my life right now, but (laughs) um, my, my guess would be that it would continue to escalate a little bit. I think the days of $2,000 an acre in Kansas are probably numbered. Yeah, Um, I think if you can get in, I actually just had a conversation with a guy in Dallas uh, who's a land investor about this an hour ago, that if you can buy something that's a a high-end property um, and it's got a one in front of it or a low two in front of it when you're buying it per acre, then you need to buy it right now. Mm -hmm. Uh, If if you wait, there's going to be a loss taken.
0: From the opportunity cost. Correct. Yep. Yeah. 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 And that's where there's always this, uh, this is a conundrum to in- investing or speculating or whatever it is. It's like, okay, so you guys seen the fastest appreciation on the entire country in the last mm-hmm. two years. So does that trend continue? Does it, Or is that the one that's going to see the biggest dip? And, and, and how to you know, explain this, like let's go to um, on Twitter. There's all these posts right now that I'm seeing about people that bought this is very specific and kind of off the tangent, but um, in, in San Francisco, people bought, let's say a townhouse for $3 million uh, a year ago. And now it's showing all these different losses of people selling at, at a major loss. Now, obviously there's a lot to that in San Francisco is a mess and everything else, but yeah. A hard time comparing Kansas and San Francisco. But, yeah, yeah. But I'm just saying like, okay, that was yeah. one of the fastest appreciating markets for the housing. And it's also one of the first ones to really see a pound. Yeah, so, I, I do think housing
1: is far more regulated and, you know, um, <laughs> uh, the, the lifeblood of housing in residential is far more tied to interest rates than land. Um, we see a lot of cash buyers. We see a lot of ten thirty one. We see a lot of um, investment groups um, and, and people are, that that have different income levels than than the guy taking a loan uh, to buy a house. Yeah. So, you know, I think I think your your demographic is so much different that that's hard to compare. Um, anything that's urban or rural, uh, you know, versus rural is 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 pretty much apples and oranges in my mind, but. Um, I think if you look at counties that are getting big influxes of out-of-state buyers, um, that can tell you a little bit of information I think it's interesting. I also look at, you know, right now when we see this big influx in prices, the ones that are going to maintain and, and keep that and, and continue to grow are going to be the, the good properties. Mm-hmm. So um, one of the things I've always done in the years past is I look for the overgrazed piece of crap property that, that looks terrible, doesn't show well, not too many people are interested in it. And I say, is there water? And what is it lacking? You know, basically do an ecology study on it to say, how's our soil? You know, how's our native grass population? What's our pollinator situation? Um, how many invasive trees or weeds are in here? Uh, what can we do to clean this up? And if we do, what does this property look like then? Um, and that's kind of my barometer. When I look at these properties, I know there's deer on it. Um, do I want to see big deer on every property I buy? Absolutely. Do I have to? No. Okay. Um, I want to see how I can take it from A to B and how big of a gap from A to B is there mm-hmm. um, and how much effort and money will it take to get it there.
0: In that rough example, how many years do you think it takes to, to it's obviously size dependent and everything else, but this is like a rule of thumb. Obviously it takes a couple of years usually to establish native grasses. And is that kind of the timeline you have to look at?
1: Yeah. But you gotta understand that all this soil out here has seed that is a hundred times older than any of us sitting in it. Mm -hmm. Uh, The one factor it's going to come down to is rain. You know, it's, you know, the restoration of a property has nothing to do with what you plant, has everything to do with what, if it rains or not.
0: Yeah, that's that's something I'm not even yeah, that's not really what I'm used to here. Yeah. <laughs> the seed yeah, bank will, is there. The seed bank is there. The West. Yeah, yeah. The seed bank is already there. It's
1: yeah, there. the seed bank's out there. There's been years and years and years of seeds out there. Um strip disking is a, a really common practice that I use. Um it's just simply running a disc. You know, you don't want to run too deep and everything else, and you're gonna stir up some weeds that you don't wanna strip also, but um if you can control that and, and work with that, there's a lot of seeds sitting in the soil, but we have to get timely rain. And if you can work your dirt and do things around rain that you see forecasted and, and coming in and hopefully does hit,
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, you can do a lot of stuff pretty quick. But to, to answer your question, I think two years minimum if you get rain. Um, if you're lucky, you could get it a little quicker than that. I have a 660 acre piece right now that I've uh, been restoring for two years in Barber County that's... Man, it went from the grass was half an inch. Uh-huh. I mean, it was dirt for 660 acres. It was insane. I mean, it was overgrazed, abused. Took 25 loads of trash out of the place. Old barbed bar. wire. I mean, it's just a mess. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Uh, you go in there now, and you know the grass is up to my waist, and you know everything's starting to come together and look really good. There's a lot of quail in there. There's a lot of deer in there. There's turkey in there. Um, but the one thing that place had going for it was it had live water and, uh, even on drought years, it still has live water. And, you know, if you've got that, you've got a lifeline to make a property pretty good.
0: Mm-hmm. And so is there, when you restore something like that, is there equip money or NRCS money to do that? Or is that just simply you doing that? Cause, yeah, cause like CRP, obviously you need cropping history. So if it was this overgrazed pasture, there's really not that opportunity. Correct. There's not, yeah, no, but you can, you can, you know,
1: what a lot of people don't know is you can fertilize native grasses. You know, if you can time that with rain, you can really give them a, a bump. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're trying to re- restore and regenerate, that really helps a lot. Um, but the NRCS stuff. So, so Kansas has, has a deal where we can buy you know, Sandhill Plum Thickets, um, American Plum, you know, different habitat enhancing plants that are approved through the state that are native. and we can buy them at a discounted rate. Um, mm-hmm. they're, they're really cheap and we can buy a bunch of them. Um, so I, I always look into that and say, what, what can I plant, how I can get, you know, Plum Thickets out here are, are money, right? That's protection. We have a lot of hawks, I think nationwide. I think some of our quail and upland problem is the amount of hawks we have. Um, so those plum thickets are, are pretty important to keep the Hawks from dive bombing your quail and your pheasant. Um, and they produce fruit and, and everything else. So it's just a great plant to have. Um, you can buy willow stalks and plant them along the waterways. You can, you know, you can create cover and, and habitat that would not have been there otherwise without a whole lot of effort.
2: Um, sure.
1: You a bunch of kids and family members get out there, everybody get their gunny sack of stuff. Yeah. Build a whole plant and move on to actually see how I many you can get in in a weekend. Yeah. Um, you know, and that's great time spent in the land, you
0: know. Yeah, it's really cool. And I it has to be extremely rewarding to see that piece go from where it was to where it's at today and, and where it will be for in the future. Uh, yeah, based off the work you did. I don't think there's anything
1: better. I think that's a, a great investment of time and energy.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um so I guess with, with the what's this called the the bull run of Kansas the last two years, oh, you think yeah. that that it's just Obviously, it can't continue at the trajectory. It, I, my opinion is that it can't continue at that same trajectory. Do you think it levels out? Do you think it still continues to rise with the rest of the country? Do you think, you know, it, think can- it just got caught up because it was underpriced during this period and people are like looking at all these different states and like, well, you know. No, I think it's a good an-
1: to Not necessarily. I think it could be tied back to inventory as well, right? Um, you know, it has to be, to, in order to buy it, it has to be available. Right. I and mean, people overlook that, Right. There, there's a lot of ranches like right now that I'm talking about that have not been available for 100 years. It's crazy. But they're, but they're aging out. Mm-hmm. you know. And I think part of what we're seeing in Kansas is, is just that, is that there's people aging out and some of this stuff's becoming available that you could have never, ever, ever got your hands on in the last 100 years. Mm-hmm. So there, there is a factor of that that, that plays into this as well. So I, I just think inventory is the availability of some of the inventory has gone up in certain places, and that's driven some of that uh, stat as
0: well. Mm-hmm. And so you I kind of I, I can guess what you're gonna say with some of this, but let's say someone <clears throat> is getting ready to buy their first farm, whether they're a Kansas resident or maybe they're looking to buy in Iowa, Illinois, Wisconsin, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Michigan, wherever. What's some of the pieces of advice you would give someone to buy their first farm? I mean, what's the Jeff Simpson checklist?
1: oh man um i guess i'd want to know why you want to buy it you know what are your goals for for land ownership and if it's you know if it's deer or whatever that's great if it's recreational but you know you got to understand that you got to have food water cover um you know and and i think knowing that how we don't word this knowing that you've got to put work in to develop one of them right most of the people that are buying the first one aren't buying a premium branch it's already done and completed yep i think that's accurate so when you're looking at your first one you're going to have something that's deficient on that first people piece of property that you buy so is it going to be water is it hopefully not water is it going to be water is it going to be food is it going to be cover and know that it's going to take resource so if you know don't max your budget out on just buying the dirt because you're going to need some money to either hire dozers or or use a skid steer in there, or plant, or or the, you know, just there, there's things that need to be done to make it what you think it needs to be. um So I think understanding that process a little more clear helps first time guys out a lot because I know I went into it super naive on my first one, and you know, I was like this costs what, you know <laughs> that was years ago and now it's like you now I laugh at it now, but um, there is a lot more that goes into it if you want it to be you know a, a great property. So uh, you know you want to make sure that 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 you're helping people understand that. And I think they'll have a lot, uh, a lot better experience if they do.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I, I think that's an excellent point. And I think you're exactly right because I think a lot of people, they buy what they can afford. And a lot of times what they can afford isn't isn't a premium property and there's nothing wrong with that. And I think that's some of the fun. That's part of the process of what makes land so so exciting is you get to go learn all those different things. You talked about being naive. Being naive is kind of the, the fun part of it because if you knew yeah. everything, you might not do it. <laughs> and, and yeah, exactly. Like, yeah. You just build a callus and you figure it out. Yeah. No doubt about it.
1: Yeah. That's, it's fun stuff though.
0: Yeah. And so basically, okay. So food, water, cover, and then don't max out your budget. Understand that you're probably gonna have to pay for some fruit improvements, whether that's your time as money or it's quite literally, you know, hiring someone to, yeah. that has the equipment or resources or know how to do. Equipment rentals, that all that stuff. I mean, don't, don't underestimate
2: that stuff is basically what I'm saying.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. And so what about, uh, what about from, um, you talked about neighborhood, like being in a good neighborhood. I mean, how uh, sometimes it's, it's, I almost feel that you never have all the information, which makes it really challenging
1: trust regardless.
0: Your gut. Yeah. So you just trust your gut. Trust your gut. That's what I always say too. Use your eyes, you
1: know, keep your eyes open. Walk, a pro- I mean, anyone that doesn't walk every square inch of a property, especially when you're first buying, uh, is crazy. But, you know, I always walk fence lines, especially in heavily timbered places. I want to, I'm looking for trees that look like they had a tree stand in it. Doesn't even yeah. necessarily have to have a tree stand in it. Um, you know, look. how big fresh- of a
0: turnoff is that for you?
1: It's a pretty big turnoff. Um, uh-huh. you know, I've seen, I've seen that go south fast. Um, but if, if there is a spot that has a bunch of stands, you know, maybe they're really good deer managers. I don't know, but I certainly want to have a conversation with you before I put my time and money into the, the piece that's going to be next door to it.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, you know, get, you know, a a simple conversation to say, Hey, I'm thinking about buying this land over here. What do you guys know about it? And you know, you're going to get the, you're going to get the dishonest, honest response from them every time. Um, but spend a little, the more time you spend with people, especially neighbors, the less snarky it gets. Um, Yeah. I think the the truth starts to reveal itself. The more time you invest, if you think you're going to get it in one conversation, you are not, I promise. Mm -hmm. Um, spend a little time with them. See what makes them click. Are they farmers? Are they ranchers? Are they, are they hunters? Are they, do they live there? Is that their full-time residence? Is it, you know, know all of that kind of stuff. Do they have dogs that can get out and run through all of your property as well as theirs? That's a great thing to know. I've seen that happen. That's terrible. Mm-hmm. Um, there's just a lot of things that you have to go the extra mile on when you're buying a property that has neighbors right next to it. Um, in heavily pressured areas. Like I said, mm-hmm. I, I don't want to own everything. I just want to own everything that touches mine.
0: <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Which, it, which never ends, right? Yeah. It, yeah. it never ends. <laughs> um, yeah, that's, that's funny. So, uh, <clears throat> what about, uh, what keeps some, what keeps people from unsuccessfully identifying a good farm to purchase? So maybe they're going through some of this stuff, but what's something that would be overlooked? And I think to your point, maybe find the beat up piece that you can improve. I think that's a great one, but <clears throat> what's something that people unaccess un- un- unaccess it's been a long day already it's one of things that people unsuccessfully identify to find a good farm to purchase
1: uh, oh man it could, that, that list could be forever i mean I, some of the things i've seen overlooked um, too often would be perimeter fencing um if i'm next to a cattle ranch and they've got bad perimeter fencing somewhere i want to know about it um, if i'm next to a cattle ranch and the neighbors to the other side. I always want to talk to them and say, Hey, is this guy's cows all, or his cows always out? Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I had that, that, that problem on a property a year ago to where we planted like 60 acres of, uh, of food plots and the neighbor's cows got in there. And before we knew it, there was a hundred head in there and it was gone. Oh my God. You know, you, you can't replace that. I mean, the, I'm sorry. you want to go so far. It's the same thing I tell my kids. It's like, you know, I'm sorry. It doesn't fix much. Uh-huh. And, uh, you know, that food's gone for the whole winter. You know, a lot of effort, time, money went into that. And then, Mm you know, it's like, man, that stinks. So um, the other thing is water gaps. Um, A lot of people don't pay attention to water gaps when it comes to fencing. Um, If you are next to cows or or anything else that can get out. So the water gaps where the creeks would cross your property and go to the next one. A lot of those times that fencing needs to be loose and allow debris to flow through when it floods and rains. Um, But if debris can get through there, a lot of times cows can get there too. So, um, I've seen that cause a lot of heartache for, for people trying to plant food plots and all that. So if there is a water gap, we try to have a secondary fence close that keeps them, you know, if something does get through there, um, you know, kind of keeps them corralled. Um, but little stuff like that, I think, you know, can add up.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. What about, obviously Kansas is, you mentioned rainfall being, you know, such a slave to rainfall. What, I mean, that's just one of those things you can't control, but does that, does that make you nervous? Does that keep you up at night at all on rainfall? No. Or is it it is what it is?
1: It is what it is. I mean, a weatherman in Kansas is an unbelievable profession, but um this Why, year because
0: it's always the zero percent chance of rain. Oh, man.
1: you're all wrong. <laughs> I mean, if they say in, unless it says 75% or better, you have no chance of rain. <laughs> I
0: mean, like, it uh-huh. is, might as well say zero. Uh huh. Um
1: so and it's crazy how these storms, because you got to think about it. We're pulling off of the Rocky Mountains. They're pretty close to us, right? That's a neighboring state. So you've got all this, this jet stream coming off the Rocky Mountains, and then you've got this Gulf air coming through Texas and Oklahoma and meeting. That's why we're Tornado Alley, right? Mm-hmm. So it just creates insane weather patterns, and you can't predict any of it. I mean, you, you think you might be able to, but you can't. Yeah. So you you, you kind of take what you get in the rainfall category, but like this year, this year was fantastic. Our grass, our pastures have never looked better than they look this year.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, knock on wood that we don't get a fire, but we have a lot of, a lot of grass right now. It, it's, it's fantastic. You know, quail season's in full swing right now. and um, You know, the populations are doing really well because they've got a lot of, a lot of ground to to stay in. Mm-hmm.
0: What, so you mentioned you worked with investors and, and you've helped other people find find parcels. What's mm-hmm. what's a piece of advice that you've learned from someone else that that you always consider when you're looking at land? It could be a, just an old saying. It could be it could be anything. Ah, uh,
1: man, I have to think about that one. But um, you know, buy low, sell high. <laughs> <laughs> that's
0: that's classic. Yeah, that,
1: that, that's a good one. But it's you know, but that is there is a lot of truth to that. I mean, if you you know, I think anyone, you know, investment-wise, that gets involved in that. You know, when I work with these group of investors, the first thing we're looking at is county averages. Like, so what's our breakdown of our land? What is this, you know, pasture land? Is it waste ground? Is it tillable? Is it, you know, what's our breakdown of water? What's our breakdown of, of everything resource-wise to identify what the property is. And then we look at that and we say, okay, versus the county averages, where do we stand? Um, you know, if you're 50, 50th percentile or above, is that, I mean, it, it comes down to your hold, right? If you're 50th percentile, you better be talking five to 10 year hold. Um, if you can get something bought down in that 20th percentile or you know somewhere there, then you might be able to do a three-year hold. Mm-hmm. Um, but it depends on how much work you need to put into it in, in capital investment and that kind of stuff. But um, there's a lot of ways to evaluate the investment properties um, in, in what your returns are going to look like and what your recreational value is going to look like. Um, and that's something we've got pretty good with. Um, you know, that's, that's kind of the, the lure of what we do and mm-hmm. uh, the stuff, stuff I really like.
0: Do you think that people think that they can do a project too fast on a farm? Do you think that's, that's maybe a misconception? Cause I mean, what you mentioned is makes perfect sense of uh, depending on how long you have to hold it is directly correlated with your price entry. That, that's yeah. the best way to summarize that. Um, and I think yeah. that there's, um, buying and selling farms. And I think everyone is trying to do it in some capacity. Like everyone's talking about it. Like, you know, it's almost an everyday conversation for myself, or I'm sure for you. Like, man, I just want to buy a farm and you know work on it for a year and sell it and buy something a little bit better. Do you think that that is a realistic goal, or do you think it's kind of pie in the sky?
1: I don't like 12 month deals. Um, I think on paper and in conversation and sitting here at the desk, it sounds great. Yeah. Um, but once you're putting your boots in the dirt and you're looking at the property, I think accomplishing. Accomplishing that much in one year is a pretty tall ask. Um, a two year hold, I think, is a really short hold. I think a three year hold, you're starting to get realistic. Um, I like fives better because um, you can actually take, I mean, you think about it in the lifespan of a deer. You can change a property in five years, right? You know, I can have fawns from year one that found a food source or found a new water source that I put in, and now that's become normal to them. Um, whereas the ones, when you inherently first get there, it's not, it's all change and, and mm-hmm. whitetail don't like change.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so you can change the pattern and behaviors and the availability of the deer and, you know, and how you see them and how they function. You know, my, my favorite thing is guys get in on a property. They haven't done anything. The first thing they do is it blinds up, I'm like, what are we doing? You know, like you plan on doing all these things that are going to alter the, the property, which is going to change how the deer use the property. So right, the last yes. thing that should go up is a blind, uh-huh. you know, create the things that create movement, then create your, your, your spots.
0: So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now I think that that's a great point. And I think, uh, what about, okay. So in that same, same idea, so someone saved up their money, right. And they're, they're like, I want to buy something. And knowing that it's going to be a three to five year hold, this is something that everyone struggles with. I'm sure is like, if I pull the trigger and I deplete my cash, is this the best deal or is this the deal that I can live with for the next five years? Cause that's re- I mean, that's the realistic thing here. Yeah. It's like, okay, I have my cash. This is it. I think this is it. You buy it. And then, you know, two years later, you're like, dang, I wish I would have done this. Do you see that actually play out? Because I know a lot of times people bit. buy, it, they're happy with it. And there's always the other opportunity. There's always opportunity out there, but explain that balance. The, the only time I see that
1: happen is when a guy buys a piece and he doesn't use it as much as he thought he would. Mm -hmm. um that's when that scenario comes into play for sure Mm -hmm. um but if someone's enjoying the land and working on it you know i actually see the opposite happen it's like i'm gonna keep it for a year or two and then they end up keeping it for seven yeah they fall in love with it and then you know they they have an emotional attachment and they want to keep it longer so that's the more common scenario that i see um the guys that don't use it as much or don't get out there and don't see the improvement don't visually have this connection to it those are the ones that that end up being i was just get out of this thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and that all comes down to how you got in, right? You know, what percentile were you in when you got in and where's the market at now? And, um, do you have to make X return or can you just get out, get your money out and move on? Mm-hmm. Um, but I think if you're a savvy buyer, you're in land, I think you're going to be okay no matter what.
0: Mm-hmm. Is there any key ways to avoid buyer's remorse when it comes to buying land? I've
1: never had it. Um, so I, you know, I, I love land. <laughs> I mean, I could take the ugliest piece and try to make it just a little bit prettier, and I feel pretty good about that. So, uh-huh. um, yeah, I don't, I don't, I can't, I can't really comment on that because I've never had it.
0: When did you buy your first farm? How old were you? Oh
1: man, uh, I was probably around thirty.
0: Okay, 30, 31, walk, walk us through that. What what made you want to buy it? And how nervous were you? Were you not nervous? You felt good about it? What was that like?
1: Um, I bought it cheap, so I wasn't too nervous. Um, and it wasn't very big. It was only 40 mm-hmm. Um I loved it. It was great. Um, the hard, it, I learned a lot real quick on that deal because there was 12 people that owned it. Um, it was a an air deal where there was quick claim deeds all over the place to get this thing yep. done. Um, so, yeah, that talk about needing a real estate license when you don't have one but the uh you know overall the process was smooth and it was easy i mean i bought it back then it was so cheap
0: so there what wasn't a lot have, of money involved. do you remember what you paid for that on it per acre yeah, it we're all gonna eight, laugh at it 480
1: four. an acre <laughs> 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 so i mean i'm sorry it's just it wasn't that big a deal yeah. and uh it wasn't very big but man it was great um what's funny is like one of the smallest deer i have mounted is right there and it came off that property and it's the only one in my home office here just because there's an emotional connection there yeah me.
0: yeah that's yeah. really cool
1: yeah so it's it's uh it was just an awesome piece i had a lot of good times there
0: what do you think that piece is worth today just so we can get, just so we can do the math of like so that was county um,
1: okay. that piece right now would easily bring 4,500 an acre
0: oh my gosh yeah yeah, should how that. many roughly how many years ago was that
1: I'm 47, so it's you know 17 years ago ish. That's crazy. Yeah, that's a bigger turn.
0: Yeah, that's a monster return. Which, because uh, that's, it's just funny. Like you hear those stories. Like the further west you get, like, you know, mm-hmm. that conversation right there was the 90s in Iowa, or like the very early 90s, maybe yeah. the 2000s, wherever. But so I guess that kind of lines up, but not not quite exactly. Well, but, I mean, just, I I've got a landowner right now
1: that I'm working with that bought his ground. Eight years ago for eight hundred an acre. Wow. And he's getting ready to sell it for twenty three hundred an acre.
0: Uh-huh.
1: I mean, that's a pretty good return in eight years.
0: That's excellent. That's crazy. Yeah. And so the I mean, this is the question is like, well, you know, is is obviously to find that price entry now, I'm gonna say is impossible or not quite impossible, but you might as well have a, a horseshoe. But do you think that type of of return is realistic for the future of Kansas? Cause I feel like a lot of a lot of markets have matured in my mind. That's the best way I can describe it. It's like, a, I just feel that some markets mature faster. Yeah,
1: yeah it just depends on how, you, you know, I say it's a lot, but it depends on how you define maturing because I still think, I mean, everybody overlooks it. I still think it's an inventory thing. I still think it's, you know, in, mm-hmm. in communities that are ranching communities, they're not in the business of selling ground. Mm-hmm. They're in the business,
0: you know, cause- Buying and holding most- forever.
1: Yeah, further out west, these are legacy branches that have been in the same family for over 100 years. It, and what's causing it is this next generation isn't there. Mm-hmm. You know, They've moved on, they're not ranching. So now some of that ground is coming for sale. Mm-hmm. That's the only difference. Interesting. Um, and I think that's what drives a lot of this. You know, And so a lot of these costs, I mean, I see cost bases of $100 an acre on some of these places. It's crazy. Yeah, I mean, They have massive capital gain issues. Um, in, in, a lot of these places, but you know, when they age out and they hit that point of needing money or God forbid, some medical reason, you know, requires a family to need money and they sell that, that that's why you're seeing this. I don't think it has anything to do with, uh, what the rest of the country is doing, okay. but I think it has to do with that.
0: That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. yeah Cause these are huge
1: farming in, in ranching communities. Um, that they, they don't exist because of buying and selling ground. Um, mm-hmm. they, they buy ground and they hold ground forever yeah so
0: yeah because that's that's the other interesting thing about that because it seems like there's those pockets of the country where land hardly ever changes hands and yeah. so uh, to your point you know when things do they sell high but it, I also think in the same idea a lot of times when that seal is broken so let's say it's owned by the same family for a hundred years uh, someone buys it and then to your point like, they buy it they love it seven years later they think they want to sell it and I feel like that begins to really accelerate the change of hand, change of hands of land, and maybe that's Look, different.
1: I think that, and also when you buy, let's say, four thousand acres, mm-hmm. and you sell off a thousand of it, and then that next time around, that thousand gets broken into five hundreds or you know quarter sections. Yep. That creates that same piece of dirt has created fifteen transactions. Yeah. Right. Whereas it was one piece.
0: Have you long. seen that? Have you seen that increase? Or is that? Or is not that- too much.
1: I mean, it's. I mean, some on the really, really big stuff. I mean, if something's 10,000, 20,000 acres, then yes, that can occur pretty easy, but for the most part, people try to keep them whole. Um, yeah.
0: Which especially, is it? and it
1: depends on why it's being purchased. You know, if it's being purchased to run cattle and hunt and farm and generate income, you you're, you're going to want that acreage, right? Um, and that comes down to water as well like what's my water access through each piece where can i winter where can i because out here it gets so cold right I mean Kansas gets really really cold so what are my hills like do I have northern you know do I have protection against that northern and western wind do I have you know th- there's a lot of things to consider for for winter and cows out here mm-hmm. um, you got to make sure that you're in tune with that and
0: your land can support it that makes sense. Well, is there, is there anything else that you can think of that would be useful for someone that, you know, is, is mustering up the courage to, to buy something or maybe they have something and they think, man, Kansas seems pretty cool. Um, is there yeah. any other parting words of advice?
1: Um, work with people that know the state, you know, you know, make I sure can see the have, importance of that. Yeah. Yeah. Make sure you got someone on your side that can help you out. Um, I cover the whole state, so I'm, I'm always happy to field calls on that and, and help people out. I think, uh, the more, you know, getting into it, the, the less surprises there are and, surprises in real estate are almost always bad
0: so <laughs> typically yeah. every now and then you might get a good one but yeah <laughs> for sure well no Jeff I really appreciate uh, your time and expertise in the state of Kansas and I've been I've been poking around and trying to learn it uh, and uh, this conversation was really really interesting but where can people find uh, what you have going on
1: yeah uh, Simpsonlandgroup.com that's the website and uh, you can get a hold of me through that anytime
0: awesome well thank you so much Jeff
1: yeah appreciate it.
0: If you enjoyed this episode, I would really appreciate it if you shared it with a friend, you left a written review, or you can go over to whitetail.land and get free land buying resources on the website. Just go on there and you can get uh, how to buy land like Warren Buffett, some other key things to consider. And so I hope you guys go over there and check that out. And as always, go over to Exodus Outdoor Gear and check out all of our product offerings. That is it. I hope you guys have a great rest of your week. Until next time, see ya.